Living Local, telling the stories that connect us. A United Way of Greater Milwaukee and Waukesha County podcast. Let's continue the conversation between Joel Peterson and Greg Marshall, longtime friends who have nearly everything in common besides their race. While Joel and Greg certainly do have a lot in common, both are fathers of four, musicians, and have studied theology, Today, they discuss the differences they've experienced in life because of their race, particularly around raising their children. Greg speaks first. I wonder, you, you, Joel, you were talking about how you, the conversa- kind of conversations you have to have with your oldest son and, and with the other kids, and it really caused me to start asking, like, how are those conversations different from the ones that I have with my daughters? Four, I have four daughters, um, ages 11, 8, 6, and 3. Your oldest son is, like, has one of the sweetest and kindest hearts of any kid on the planet. Um, but he's, uh, he's becoming a, a pretty big athletic black dude, you know? Like, the world, is the world ready to even see him for who he is? We said in the very beginning that our lives are just eerily similar. So I have four children as well. Three boys, one girl. And the conversations that I have with them um, range from the clothing that you can wear to the way you walk, the way you enter a room, the way you speak. All of these things are different for race, for race reasons. My son. Um, says he wants to go by one of those North Face ski type of mask um, where only like their eyes are showing. It's like the running head toboggan thing where only like your eyes are showing. I'm like, absolutely not. You will never wear that, ever. Mm. I know you're cold, but I'd much rather you be cold and have your ears cold than you not come home. Because if you walk into a gas station or if you walk into somewhere with a toboggan on where they can only see your eyes, you're already six foot tall. You're already an athlete. Um, There could be people in there that could could, um, mistake that for something totally different. And now you're in a situation that you're not ready to handle at 15. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. They're gonna be different because I have to apply uh, the race lens to everything from clothing to walking to uh, speaking um, to all of these things that you can just have a conversation about with, with, your, with your daughters about what to wear because does it look nice? Where I have to have a conversation with my sons who are all gonna be tall who are all gonna be over six foot, who are all athletic, who already are gonna look kind of imposing. I gotta have conversations with them on everything as how certain people will view you. And it will have nothing to do with, with your GPA or anything like that. It will have everything to do with how you look. And once again, is that fair? No, but it's life. So Joel, like, um, I hear you talking about you have to have these conversations about what you could wear um, and how to conduct yourself. Um, what's at stake? Life and death. 
my child coming home. That's what's at stake. Um, it's so serious that um, we are forced to own everyone's um, racial opinion. I am forced to own everyone's racial opinion of my sons. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, there are, there are gonna there are gonna be people, and there's gonna be a lot of people who meet my kids and base them and 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 base how they view them off of their character. But there's also gonna be a large majority. There's also gonna be a large portion of people who meet him and don't base what they think about him on his character or what he's proven. They're gonna base it off of race and they're gonna base it off of the social constructs that they have in their brain about what black men are. And so, um, if you already come into a situation afraid and then somebody meets the image of fear that you have, um, immediately you're gonna respond with fear. And, and, and what does that mean? That could mean that um, a, a certain movement is mistaken or a, a certain someone raising their voice could be mistaken uh, and, 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 and feed into that fear and however that person responds to fear might be differently. Um, and so that's what I mean by it's life or death. If my kid goes into the wrong place with a ski mask on, he could die. And so he was invited to homecoming. Um, and so homecoming, of course, after homecoming, their friends go out. I have to now have a conversation with him to say, okay, when you walk into a place, when you walk into a restaurant, there are gonna be people that view you just having fun as something totally different, as you being unruly, as you being uh, uh, someone who needs to be watched. As, as, and so I have to have conversations with him to say that you have to be aware of your surroundings no matter what, wherever you go. When it, so no, he cannot just go into a restaurant with his friends and being loud and laughing at a joke. No, you can't do that. Absolutely not. Um, because I am forced to own everyone's insecurities. I am forced to own everyone's racial um, uh, issue. I'm forced to. Because if I don't, then I feel like I'm not adequately preparing him for what he may encounter. And so I have to draw the line to say that, uh, and I have to walk a, a, a line um, that says that not all people are this way, but there are some people who are, that, or who are this way. And so it is not your job to judge who is this way or not, because you can't. But it is your job to conduct yourself to where um, you will not feed into any of the stereotypes that produce mass fear. Um, and once again, is that right? No. A kid should just be able to be a a 14-year-old kid who's excited to be on varsity and invited to homecoming. He should just be able to have that experience, but no, you can't, because you need to be aware of certain things. Mm -hmm. And when I say those things and I introduce those things to him, he's like, Dad, you're crazy. You're crazy. But then after the event, he's like, Dad, you were right. And so, um, Greg, you're, 
um, very successful at what you do. You could live anywhere. You don't have to live in Sherman Park, and you never have had to live in Sherman Park. Why immerse yourself into a place that's going to provide tension, not only for you, but your family? It's a, I answer that in a couple of different ways. Um, one, being in my late teens and early 20s, there was n the most accepting, affirming, and life-giving space I found was the black community, specifically in the black church and after, like, after school programs, youth programs, where as somebody who loved hip-hop music and wanted to perform and write poetry, and I was just accepted and, and encouraged in a way that I had never seen before. So my, my like, first real encounter with the black community was so beautiful. So when I, you know, I found out who I was in the context of getting really close with black and Hispanic youth and their communities, um, so in that regard, I was looking at the, where to live, and we found this beautiful house, and, and that's really affordable, and we're thinking, man, why is this beautiful home so inexpensive? And you realize it's like, well, there's a lot of perception. Like, this is a working-class African-American neighborhood that people see as the hood, and it's just not where you're supposed to live. And, but I saw it through the lens of, man, like, if I got to raise my kids in the context of a community that has meant so much to me and was so beautiful to me, that would be really cool. And there's been times where we've wanted to leave. I mean, you know, even like in the past, but even most recently, six blocks from our house is where the gas station was burned down and people erupted into these protests and it was scary stuff. But why do we stay there? It's all because of relationships. Friendships like the one I have with you, with your family, um, friendships with multiple other families, um, all over the board, um, you know, white families, Asian families, African-American families, mixed families, gay couples, older couples, younger couples. It's all over the board in my neighborhood, and I just love that diversity. And, and I think we, we had to decide we're just gonna, we're gonna stay here. And why? Because we cannot find these kind of relationships anywhere else. Um, how has everyone else received that? Well, what I mean everyone else, I mean your family or some of your business contacts or um, you know, anyone else that, that's in your circle who, who may not have the vantage point that you do with these relationships. How do they view that from the outside <laughs> looking in? Yeah, it's pretty funny when we first moved there, there was this couple that was sort of like mentoring my wife. Can you say where you moved from? So before, before we moved to Sherman Park, we lived in Shaniqua, or Heartland area, in a, in a really beautiful farmhouse on a private lake in the Kettle Moraine Forest. But when we, when we moved, um, there was, I remember one couple that was sort of mentoring my wife, um, made it very clear to her that I, her husband, was making a poor choice that was putting my family in danger and that, I, that she needed to stand up to me in this, in this situation. And, and I, I was just amazed. I was ticked off. Um, like, 
Um, but then, okay, so then we get a realtor and we give them like 20 houses to look at um, in neighborhoods like Sherman Park all over the city. And about like four houses into this one trip, we realized that he had not shown us any of those houses yet. And we had only been in white neighborhoods. And I, so I asked him, I was like, so we sent you a bunch of houses. Um, why haven't we seen any of those houses yet? And he, he pulls me aside away from Laura and he's like, well, Greg, when purchasing a home, you want to take into account the well-being of your family. I'm like, I did that already. I want to know if you can show me those houses. Right. Those houses are in neighborhoods where it's probably not the best for your family to consider living. I'm like, I know those neighborhoods. Like, this is done. You can take us home now. And that was, I mean, that was like, that's not like a fluke. That is a norm in this city. Like, realtors, like, direct you to where you're supposed to live all the time. And we experienced it head on. And so that was really frustrating. Um, and then I had people who, like, when you talk about clients now, it's, it's kind of funny because um, when we did, um, I helped, de I developed the It's Aaron.com stuff with Aaron Rodgers and David Gruber. And the first season, we surprised, Aaron surprised kids at their door, and we surprised the kid in our neighborhood. And we were sitting there waiting for this. And I remember sitting in the car, and I was, Aaron was in the front seat, and I was in the back, and I was like, hey, by the way, this is my neighborhood. And he's like, really? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man, this is where I live, just a few blocks over there. Why do you live here? And I told him the story, and he's like, all right. Yeah, that's cool. Like, you don't meet many people who, like, who do that kind of stuff. Like, you could kind of live anywhere, huh? I'm like, yeah, I could live a lot of different places. And it started this whole conversation that led to the next season of It's Aaron being about um, you know, reaching out to kids in the central city and, and, and um, organizations that, that serve them. I think we just, we hear every, the whole spectrum of people are afraid, people think it's weird, or people are excited about it. But over across the board, people don't get it. They don't understand what it's actually like there. Um, watching our parents accept it was pretty cool. My dad was like, so why does this make sense to be here? Um, not in like a judging way, but just asking me, like, this is not everybody does this, so what's going on? Um, and it was on moving day. My parents, her parents are there. And so you imagine, you know, like we had this moving truck open and all this stuff in it, people walking by, and all of them are black, and all of them, you know, look like black people like you see on the news. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my goodness, like, where are we? And it took like an hour before Laura, my wife's dad, was like, you live in a very nice neighborhood. And it was purely based on the fact that people were walking by, like, oh, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. Like, do you need help carrying that? Yeah. Like, super kind. And so anybody who's spent time with us in our neighborhood, like, sees it as awesome. People who don't understand it are either live, try to, like, they're excited by it, or, or it's just like, so why are you an idiot? Like, you don't love your kids, you know? So it's a, it's a big spectrum. Greg, I really appreciate you coming um, to United Way. Um, making our private friendship public, um, hoping to address a lot of the tensions that exist within a lot of our communities surrounded by race. Um, and I just thank you for coming out. Thank you for being you. Thank you for being honest. Uh, and thank you for being my friend. Hmm. Yeah, thanks, Joel. This is an honor to do, and I'm, I'm sure that hopefully we'll find other ways to, to talk about this stuff. And, and I'm hoping that this conversation stirs people up to want to build friendships with people who don't look like them. That was Joel Peterson and Greg Marshall. To join the conversation about race in our community, or to learn more about United Way's Diversity Leadership Society, 
Visit the blog accompanying this podcast on our website, unitedwaygmwc.org slash podcast. Living Local is produced by myself, Katie Kuhn, Melissa Hannon, John Waldbauer, and Brian McCaig. A special thank you to Ethan and Maeve McCaig for providing the music and voice talent for our introduction.